And we have a moment of prayer, so let us pray. Lord God, we thank you for this time of worship. And we may be familiar with the story of Palm Sunday and of the events that will happen this week as we enter Holy Week. So we ask that in your grace and mercy, you will speak afresh to us, that we will listen to you not only with our ears, but that you will speak to our hearts, that we may respond in deeper commitment and love to you. In Jesus' name, amen. For those of you who have a tendency uh, to be impatient, and that applies to me, one of the consequences of that is that you rush things, okay, from doing the housework to reading books. I have a tendency to read books as quickly as I can. If it's a thriller, I have been known to stay up until the early hours of the morning to actually find out who done it? Because I do not have the patience to wait until morning to finish that all-important chapter. If it's simply a novel, I still have to get to the end as quickly as possible to find out if actually everyone did live happily ever after. This Palm Sunday as we stand on the threshold of Holy Week, looking out at a panorama that we are familiar with. We are invited to pause on the events of each day without rushing. We are to resist the temptation to hasten towards the crucial events on Good Friday. So much happens this week We almost have to take it down to a slow motion pace to appreciate the whole of the story. And so when Jesus set his face towards Jerusalem, the journey that he took there would neither be an easy or a quick journey. As physically that route from Jericho to Jerusalem was a climb of 4,000 feet. And then during that long, hard journey would have allowed Jesus plenty of time to think. And when he arrives, as the momentum builds up, Jesus stops. And all he does when he gets to Jerusalem is visit the temple and have a look around. And so as the momentum builds up at this Holy Week, maybe we too should take that same opportunity to stop and look around and reflect And in a sense, as I was thinking about the service for this evening, on Palm Sunday, this reading in Philippians, which Leila shared with us, 
looks ahead to Christ's sacrifice, but also looks over its shoulder to the backstory. How did Jesus end up here? Why is he there? Why is he at Jerusalem? And that Philippians passage is a fantastic piece of scripture. And I found that I've had a fresh appreciation of that familiar passage when I looked at it again at this point in the Christian calendar. And this gives us, I believe, an appreciation of Christ's humility and what he gave up for us. What he gave up for us. Now, if I were to bring here a flip chart this evening and ask each of you, what qualities do you think a king needs to possess in order to be a good king? That would make for quite an interesting conversation. I'm not going to do that. We don't have time. But I think it would make a very interesting conversation. Now, Tom Wright, in his book, Poor for Everyone, observes that when people in the ancient world thought of heroic leaders and rulers and kings, they would have thought of characters like Alexander the Great, a king who was undefeated in battle, is widely considered to be one of history's most successful military commanders. Or they may also have thought of the Emperor Augustus, renowned for his military might. And this was the model of what heroic leadership looked like in the world. And so as we hold that thought in mind, we begin to consider how countercultural these words of Paul are in Philippians. The gospel message concerning the death of Jesus Christ and his victory over death, which we celebrate on Easter Sunday, illustrate Jesus as the world's true Lord. Now, Paul is very clear here who Jesus is. Jesus is the second person of the Trinity. And as such, interestingly, Jesus did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. Now, this is a statement which can be understood in a number of ways. The Son possessed equality with the Father, but resolved not to cling to it. It has been suggested that this is in contrast to the Genesis account of the story of Adam and the temptation that was presented before him to be like God. And it presents for me a stark contrast between the nature of Christ and human nature. And if we consider that Christ enjoyed equality with God and surrendered it by becoming a human being, there is a huge amount of poignancy in this sacrificial gesture of Jesus Christ. 
Now, some commentators have suggested that Christ could have exploited his position to seize glory and honour. But rather, Jesus chose his destiny as the incarnate and humiliated one and yet was exalted by God. Jesus chose the way of obedient suffering as the pathway to his lordship. And it was a decision that would have consequences for him and a decision that would have consequences for the world. So Jesus didn't regard equality with God as something to be held on to or clutched greedily or as something to be exploited. He was willing to surrender that equality with God. But this builds, because not only did Jesus not clutch at equality with his father, he made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant. Here is a member of the Holy Trinity, a holy deity, laying aside his glory that he might be born in human likeness. This is astounding. The attributes of the deity are omniscience, omnipotence, and omnipresence. And Christ put a limit on his glory to become a human being. He shared our human nature in all its frailty. And Ralph Martin writes, his true stature was concealed in the weakness of his mortality and his glory was veiled in his humanity. By making himself nothing, the glory which Christ had enjoyed from all eternity was laid aside in his becoming a man. And the point of this passage in Philippians expresses the huge contrast between the sovereignty of Christ, which he laid aside, and his utter humiliation. And in becoming a servant, we are, of course, reminded of the prophecy of the suffering servant in Isaiah, part of which was picked up this evening in our reading. And so it built. He humbled himself. Refers to Christ's entire life in his devotion to the Father and the acceptance of our human lot. And ultimately, with the cross in view, the climax of his life, his humiliation in the passion and death at Calvary. And the whole essence of choice, this choice that Christ made, is heightened 
when we consider the comments of the biblical scholar Lomea, who observes that Christ's obedience is a sure token of his deity and authority. Because only a divine being can accept death as obedience. For ordinary people like you and me, it's a necessity. Christ's obedience is a sure token of his deity and authority because only a divine being can accept death as obedience. For ordinary people, it is a necessity. The obedient son, and he alone, could choose death as his destiny. And he did so because of his love. A love which was directed to the Father's redeeming purpose and equally to the world in which he came. It is a complete embracing of the will of God culminating in Christ's death. In Christ's death, And as Philippians says, even death on a cross. Cicero describes this method of execution as the most cruel and hideous form of punishment. Not only was the crucifixion a diabolical and intensely painful form of execution, it was also degrading and shameful. It was a form of execution that was reserved for criminals and slaves where the victim was subject to intense humiliation as they hung on the cross. And so in those few verses in Philippians, in one great sweep, Christ goes from the highest height to the deepest depth. From the light of God to the darkness of death. But the hymn in Philippians moves on and the mood changes. Look what God does in respect of this. The obedience of Christ the Son is crowned by the act of of exaltation in which the father raises the son from the dead and elevates him to the place of honor and the one who stooped so low is now lifted to the glorious rank of equality with God wasn't that where we began wasn't this what Christ gave up The enjoyment of that dignity which was ever his by right, by which he never clutched, is now his personal possession. The honour now conferred is expressed by the bestowal of that name which is above all names. And the honour which Jesus never ever claimed for himself is now conferred on him by God. And at his name, every knee must bow and every tongue must confess 
that Jesus Christ is Lord. We see this in Isaiah chapter 45, verse 23. The honour reserved for God is given to Jesus. God raised Jesus from his position of humiliation and assigns him the highest status possible. There is nobody else on this level. And by exalting Christ, God sets his stamp of approval on what Jesus did. This humiliation was not only in obedience to God, but was for the sake of other people. It wasn't for the sake of Christ. It was for the sake of other people. 2 Corinthians 8, 9. It was for our sake that Jesus became poor. So if we return to the beginning of the passage in Philippians, Paul starts in verse 5, Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. But what does that mean? Does it mean that we're called to follow in the steps of Jesus by taking the pattern of those verses as an example? Or are we called to respond to that life in Christ who was saved through the obedience of our exalted Lord? Or may I suggest it's possibly both, perhaps. But certainly one of the reasons that Paul wrote this letter to the church in Philippi was to address the attitudes of the readers of this letter, for them to think about their attitudes to each other and how they should treat one another. And in this letter and in this passage, Paul points them to Christ. When you are in Christ, that must be reflected in your relations with others. And Paul says, Jesus is our example. Jesus is presented as an example to be followed, an example of service, the need to think of others an example of humility and obedience. To confess that Jesus is Lord, and we did that in our first hymn, it's the earliest Christian creed, is to accept the commitment to the way of life that Jesus exemplified. And so that poem we read in Philippians is a very early statement of the Christian faith. It is the heart of the Christian faith, which expresses who who Jesus is, what he accomplished, and God reconciling the world to himself in Jesus Christ. And when we read it, I hope it leaves you in awe Because it shows us that he is and why he is to be confessed as Lord. 
It is the record of the pre-existent, the one who was there right at the beginning, pre-existent, humiliated and glorified Lord, who is ever the object of the church's worship and the destined ruler of all created life. And when the name of Jesus is announced, the result is that everybody will bow in worship. Amen. To lead us into our prayers for ourselves and others, we sing our next hymn. Come wounded healer, your sufferings reveal the scars you accepted, our anguish to heal. We stand to sing. Please be seated. So let us pray. Lord Jesus Christ, you came not as a king mighty in battle, but as the prince of peace the promised deliverer, sent to heal and restore our broken world. And so now we pray for peace and unity between nations. Your kingdom come, 
and your will be done. And we thank you, Lord, for signs of hope in the world today. For the desire to make this planet a safer place. For initiatives that have been taken to reduce nuclear and conventional arms. For the breaking down of seemingly insurmountable barriers. And for a willingness to engage in genuine dialogue. So we ask, Lord, that you will prosper all such efforts and grant that a spirit of trust and cooperation may develop among all. But, Lord, we are conscious that there are places throughout the world where tension continues. And we lift those places before you. For those areas where there is still hatred, division, violence and slaughter. We pray for all those caught up in the awfulness of war and the consequences of those wars. For those who are maimed and injured those who have lost loved ones, those for whom life will never be the same again. We pray, Lord, that you will break down the barriers which keep people apart, the prejudice and intolerance, the greed and envy, the injustice and exploitation which continue to scar our world. And may your spirit of love overcome all that causes people to take arms up against each other. And we pray for those at this time, Lord, for whom it is difficult to find peace in their own lives and their own situations. And we lift before you the names of those who have been asked to be mentioned in our prayers this evening. And we remember Elias, asking for your guidance, Lord, and for a successful outcome to his situation at this moment, that you will bless and protect his family. We pray for travelling mercies and for for protection for tomorrow for Reggie as he attends his interview. Pray, Lord, for that situation that you will give him a clear mind and help him in his communication. We pray for Kinomi, for your peace and for your protection in their life. And for Ian, for continued healing, and for your protection. And for Val, who is preparing for an operation, 
We pray that that operation will be a success and that she will be restored to full health. 